Welcome to KASB's The Advocate Podcast for January 13th, 2023. I'm Leah Flyter, and I'm joined today by my KASB advocacy colleagues, Scott Rothschild and John Forer, and our producer, Alec Mandrigal. The big news for K-12 public schools this week was the release of Governor Laura Kelly's budget proposal for the the state. And of course, that also included her budget proposal for K-12 public schools. I'll get started right away here with a quick review. So the governor's budget proposal is to fully fund base state aid to K-12 schools for the fifth consecutive year. And she is also recommending that K-12 funding be appropriated not only for fiscal year 24, but also for fiscal year 25. The governor's budget also expands the very popular mental health team intervention pilot. Uh, Her budget adds $3 million from the state general fund to that project, which um, which helps school districts work with local mental health providers to um, assist students with mental health issues. And that additional $3 million should allow an additional 15 to 25 districts to participate in the mental health intervention team pilot. The governor's budget also adds $5 million from the state general fund to the Safe and Secure Schools grant program. That's a grant program that is a one-to-one match. The, The state provides funding and the school district has to match it. That's generally uh, been used to help uh, harden buildings, as the saying goes, against school violence. But the governor's budget also specifically mentions this year that uh, school districts can use safe and secure school money to buy naloxone, which is, uh, as many of you probably know, is a drug that first responders and school nurses can use to countervene a drug overdose. And the budget also says that schools can use safe and secure funding to purchase communications devices. So $5 million added to the safe and secure schools grants. The the budget also changes the capital improvement aid program uh, to become a demand transfer rather than a revenue transfer in fiscal year 24. That doesn't mean there's any new funding. It just kind of changes the way the state counts that money. Another big item for schools in the governor's budget proposal is that the governor proposes to fully fund the high density at risk weighting. This is a special weighting in the school finance formula that helps schools compensate for high levels of say poverty and even population density in their schools. Uh, And it, it helps counteract some of the provision, some of the impacts of poverty on schools and student achievement. That weighting is scheduled to expire. John, help uh, Scott or John, help me. When does that weighting expire? Is it next year? I believe it's next year, yeah. Yeah, next year, 2024. Mm -hmm. So the governor funds it, but she also notes in her budget that the legislature is gonna have to take some action to pass a law to either um, extend that sunset, make make the waiting permanent, or I suppose uh, there, well, we know there's a possibility that that waiting might be actually be eliminated by the legislature. Okay, so that's the big overview of the budget, but, but probably the priority issue for our KASB members, the, the 286 school districts around the state who all belong to KASB, 
We've been pushing hard uh, for full funding of special education and the governor's budget plan does propose a five-year phase-in of special education to the 92% level that is required in state law. So that five-year phase-in would break down to $72 million for each of the next five years. And that would allow uh, the state to meet its obligation to school districts by fiscal year 2028. So as our members know, uh, it's been about since about 2011 since the state fully funded its share of excess costs to educate students with disabilities and gifted students in Kansas. And uh, we also know that the federal government has not fulfilled its goal of funding up to 40% of excess costs for special education students. So the governor specifically noted in her budget and there was some Q and A in the, in the legislative presentation that we heard. The governor's staff is urging the federal government to also follow through on its commitment to fund up to 40% of excess costs. So it's there will be sort of a two-pronged approach here, phasing in full state reimbursement and then also putting greater pressure on the federal government to fund its share of up to 40%. So Scott and John, any comments there on uh, the budget presentation that we saw yesterday? Well, uh, I think uh, a lot uh, of good things in there as far as K-12 funding goes from, from the governor, uh, pretty much what we kind of expected based on her comments during the, uh, her reelection campaign. And uh, now the, um, uh, the, the uh, proposal goes to the legislature and uh, the, a lot of our funding, the K through 12 funding will be going through the K through 12 education budget committee, uh, which is chaired by uh, Christy Williams and uh, a Republican from uh, Augusta and um, uh, I was uh, reading the papers uh, to see uh, what she thought uh, of the uh, proposals. Uh, I think it's fair to say uh, she is not in favor of this five-year phased-in funding. Uh, she told one newspaper she planned to introduce legislation establishing a task force to study special education funding in Kansas. Uh, I think, you know, we've been underfunded for 11 years now. Uh, Maybe uh, uh, a task force uh, may be a good idea, but you know, after 11 years of underfunding, I, I think uh, um, you know we need to see uh, the legislature comply uh, with its uh, statute. So uh, you know, we're going to have a big fight over special ed funding. Uh, another uh, issue we see is uh, you know we would like to see a clean bill. We would like to see a clean funding bill and not attach. Uh, something we want uh, with things that uh, certain special interest groups want, uh, such as uh, sending uh, public uh, tax dollars to private schools uh, under a voucher plan. And I thought it was interesting uh, that there, there was a quote from Representative Williams, who has pushed these voucher plans, education savings accounts, whatever you want to call them in the past. And uh, she has paired those sometimes with the uh, other things, but uh, there was an interesting comment she made in one of the papers. She says um, she's going to renew her effort for education savings accounts, 
but not necessarily tying it uh, to uh, uh, the uh, linking it to the K through 12 education budget. So we shall see. So uh, that was some of the comments uh, I saw. You know, I I, I think uh, we have a long long way to go on this. Yeah, and speaking of a long way to go, um, Scott, let's talk a little bit more about a comment that we heard both from Chair Williams and from Senator Renee Erickson, who is in the Senate, who is in the Senate leadership staff, and she also serves on the Senate Education Committee. Both of those members said that they felt that the local op some of the local option budget funding that school districts receive should be counted as special education money that's provided by the state. So uh, we're, what we're seeing here is, is an attempt to link special education funding and general education funding. Those are two different pots of money. General education is funded by the school finance formula that was litigated repeatedly in the Montoy and Gannon school finance cases. And ultimately, finally, a solution was agreed to by the legislature, the governor's office, and the state Supreme Court. And then on the other hand, you have special education funding, which is a federal mandate, which is supposed to be funded with from allocations from the state legislature and the federal government. So, so Scott, uh, let's talk about if we're if we start messing with the LOB, what does that do to the school funding? formula and the potential Gannon school finance case? Well, I, you know, I, we're going to have a lot of talk uh, in the legislature about the history of Gannon, uh, what the lawsuit meant, what the, what the Kansas Supreme Court ruled. And, you know, I always thought a local option budget was the uh, funds that, you know, the state allowed locals to raise to enhance their, uh, their schools. And, um, you know, if we're going to start using that money for things that are required, like special education, uh, to me, it sounds like that would uh, just invite uh, uh, more litigation. And uh, so I, it, it seems like a path uh, I don't think the state wants to go down. And, you know, th this is all very theoretical and very kind of 50,000 foot look at things. And yeah. I mean, uh, you know. We're talking about educating our kids. And, uh, you know, th this is money that districts need. Uh, and, you know, they're not lying about this. You know, they're, they're making the transfers from general education funds to, to, uh, to provide the special education services. I mean, and that, that's just the facts. And, uh, you know, it's, it's underfunded. It's not near the 92% that they said it was going to be Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting discussion in the K-12 Education Budget Committee. I think uh, Chair Williams was trying to imply that, uh, may, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but uh, I think there is a feeling that by, by some that, you know, the Kansas Supreme Court decision in Gannon is okay with the way special education funding has turned out. And I think uh, the, uh, the, 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 the facts are when the when can when Gannon was being litigated, yes, special education was being funded at the proper level. Since then, that has fallen off. Uh, so, does Gannon specifically talk to special education? Maybe not. But then, when you start messing with the whole structure of special education within the school finance plan, you are you are weakening the structure of the school finance plan, and that is definitely 
in the purview of the Gannon litigation and is definitely within the purview of the Kansas Supreme Court. So I'm, I'm kind of rambling on here, but these are a lot of theoretical things going on. And I think it kind of it kind of uh, misses the fact that, you know, we got kids to educate. We're, we're, we're not funded properly. And, and how do we get to the point we want to get? And I was going to say, I was going to jump in. I think you guys have done a really good job of kind of explaining um, the purview of the whole conversation. But one thing, um, just to remember, uh, a lot of proponents of our, you know, increasing special education funding has been to say that if funding is not increased, we have to transfer money from our general funds or local option budgets to support those programs because those special ed services need to be paid for. Um, and so it's the general education uh, programs that may suffer be, uh, because of that. So if we're talking about um, taking a portion of that LOB and using it to pay for special education services, that's kind of exactly what we've been uh, describing or uh, talking about as, as the issue again. Um, the special education services will be paid, but there may be general education programs that will be hurt because of money that may have been directed from the LOB to those programs, which will now have to be um, allocated to special education. Yeah, great. Yeah, great insights, John. Yeah, yeah, that's a Thanks. good point. It's just exacerbating a problem that has been existing for the past few years. Yeah, yeah. You know, another comment that we heard from legislative leadership at, uh, yesterday after the budget was released was that well she's trying to she's trying to spend way too much money and we need to save money for a rainy day and if you look at the budget profile that was distributed yesterday there's about three billion dollars in um scott help me is it excess revenue what are they calling well it? there's 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 about two billion dollars in our ending balance and there's another i think almost a billion dollars yeah. in mm -hmm. our rainy day fund so we're kind of we kind of got double insurance uh, going there, and and yeah, that's that's just an astounding amount of money when you consider, you know, it wasn't too long ago we were, uh, you know, stealing from Peter to pay Paul or whatever that expression is, <laughs> just to just to balance the books on the last day of the fiscal uh, year, and uh, uh, yeah, we are, I mean, it we are flush with money. Now, there are concerns, you know, uh, I heard a lot of Republicans say a recession is on the way. That's what the rainy day fund is for. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a statutory uh, law that says our ending balance should be seven and a half percent. I think we're like in the 20s or 30s uh, percentage, you know, I mean, we are way over that. So th this is a, a, a significant commitment to special ed, but it is one that can easily be uh, funded. Yeah, thanks. You nailed it. Okay, so um, in other news this week, the Kansas State Board of Education held its first meeting of the year this week, and there were several new board members in attendance, and Scott was at uh, at least the first day of that that state board meeting. Uh, can you fill us in a little bit on, on how they got started with their uh, first meeting of the year? Well, they, uh, they brought on three new members, uh, Danny Zeck uh, from uh, Leavenworth, uh, Kathy Hopkins, and uh, Dennis Hirschberger. And uh, the, the three new Republican members, I think it's fair to say they are pretty, uh, pretty conservative, very conservative members. Uh, and uh, the, the first order of business was to elect a chair and a vice chair 
So your new chair for the State Board of Education is Melanie Haas. Uh, she's from Overland Park. Uh, she's been on the board since uh, for the past couple of years. And the new vice chair is Jim Porter. Jim Porter had been the chair, but now he's the vice chair. So uh, those were both in 6-4 votes. It's a 10-member uh, body. The votes were 6-4. to four. Uh, the uh, conservatives were supporting uh, uh, Michelle Dombrowski, uh, who is from Johnson County. Uh, but uh, th those are six, four votes. And I think that's basically a lot of the split we're going to see on the state board in the next coming years is six to four. Um, uh, two other positions, uh, uh, Dina Horst and uh, Ann Ma were uh, elected as legislative liaisons uh, between... And these are the people that work between the board and the legislature, and they'll be working a lot with us too. And so, uh, you know, uh, some 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 fireworks uh, uh, at the first uh, board meeting with these new members. Uh, uh, they uh, uh, one of the board members, one of the six, uh, had to step away from the meeting for a while, and they were voting on uh, 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 allocating some. Uh, COVID money to the school districts. This is a pretty, a fairly routine vote over the past months. And uh, they could not get the six votes to uh, approve it uh, because uh, there were, uh, Danny Zek uh, voted against it and there were three abstentions. And so uh, uh, that, that produced a, a kerfuffle for a few minutes. And then uh, finally, uh, Kathy Hopkins, one of the new members, uh, change from her abstention to a yes, and they move those funds over. But so I think that's what we're going to see a lot of six, four decisions. Okay. So definitely a uh, new territory being, uh, being set out here for the state board. And we will, we will monitor that and um, keep reporting on how the state board is doing. Well, this has been the first week of the legislative session and, and committees have already started to meet. Uh, the primary committees we follow are the House and Senate Education Committees and the House K-12 Education Budget Committee. So the uh, committees have already been holding some briefings and let's, uh, John and Scott, let's, let's talk about some of the topics that uh, the committees have been addressing. John, you wanna kick us off on uh, early committee work yeah, so I kind of sat in on House Education this week. Um, the first day, uh, it was just introductions, uh, not really any business, just kind of setting out the kind of goals of the committee um, for this upcoming session. And then uh, on Thursday, when it met the second time, uh, the, the committee received a presentation on ESSER funds. Um, so given the large kind of influx of uh, COVID relief um, that was provided during the COVID pandemic, um, there are certainly some legislators who are concerned over how that money was distributed and if it was spent in ways that were permitted under federal law. And so uh, Commissioner of Education, Dr. Randy Watson, uh, was there to provide a presentation over it, um, kind of explained uh, how they Form, or created the task force, which the chair of education, Representative Adam Thomas, uh, is a member of, and kind of explained how the funding was distributed and kind of gave an overall a view of kind of the fr framework um, of the federal guidelines that they were given to distribute those funds. I think the committee members felt that that was very helpful. Uh, House Education Committee in particular has a number 
of new members who were not on the committee last year. And not only that, there are a lot of members of that committee who are brand new to the legislature. So I think that was very helpful for them to hear that information from Commissioner Watson. And just a shout out to our listeners that uh, if you have members on the House Education Committee, a lot of them are new legislators, make sure that you're touching base with them and uh, meeting them and helping them understand uh, all the issues that face K-12 education. Scott, you were in Senate education this week, right? Right. Basically, uh, a lot of introductions and, and things like that. Uh, uh, and uh, we, there was one uh, meeting devoted to uh, early literacy and dyslexia. And uh, Dr. Lori Curtis, who is uh, kind of heading that effort for uh, the Kansas State Department of Education, spoke uh, about uh, efforts uh, in the state. Um, and I think it's fair to say, uh, Chairwoman uh, Molly Baumgartner, um, while she said that she thought Dr. Curtis is doing a fantastic job, she is, uh, the chairwoman is, is impatient with uh, the pace uh, that the state is uh, on in training teachers uh, for this specific uh, dyslexia uh, instruction and learning. And uh, as Dr. Curtis said, one of the challenges in doing this is, is this is, you know, a very important training uh, for teachers uh, is that uh, uh, the, su- the, sub- the shortage of substitute teachers uh, is preventing uh, teachers from uh, getting the time that they need to step away from their classroom and get this training. So, um, you know, we've had a sub shortage uh, and a teacher shortage for several years, and there are some efforts uh, in the legislature to uh, to look at that. But um, so uh, that was that was a very uh, interesting and, uh, 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 you know, listening to someone talk about the science of reading is, is just very interesting to me because, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, I can't remember how I learned to read. So it's kind of fun to listen to someone uh, describe, here's how you learned how to read back in the day. So anyway, uh, but I think, uh, I think we're going to hear more about that. I think there are legislators uh, who want to pick up the pace as far as uh, getting teachers trained to uh, get kids uh, on the right track who are struggling uh, with their reading. All right. Thanks for that update. Well, we have had a few bills introduced this year, this week that we're following, although we haven't seen any bill text yet, but we know there has been a bill introduced uh, about the state's tuition tax credit for low-income students program. That This is another form of voucher that allows donors to make a tax-deductible donation to a what is called a scholarship-granting organization that will then give a scholarship, or really it's a voucher, to kids to move from their public school to a private school. KESB opposes tuition tax credits, education savings accounts, vouchers. They're really all pretty much the same thing. Different names, lipstick on a farm animal, but they funnel public tax money to private schools. We oppose that and we will continue to oppose those throughout the session. There's also a bill that has been introduced, we haven't seen the text yet, that would allow um, school districts to use their current year enrollment when they're calculating their um, FTE for your base state aid. And there is also, uh, let's see, 
uh, Scott and John helped me out. There were some bills about, uh, there were a couple of bills about a sales tax holiday, and there's also a, a bill about Keisha and the, and weightings for the uh, Keisha classifications. Right. The, the, the sales tax holiday, I think, is also the, in the governor's uh, proposal. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it would, uh, I think it's the first, what it would do is on the first Friday in August, uh, that weekend, uh, people would get, uh, uh, would be able to buy school supplies under one bill. I think there have been proposals to include like clothing mm-hmm. uh, and they'd get a, 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 they wouldn't have to pay sales taxes on that. A lot of states have done this. Um, for some reason, Kansas has been hesitant, but there have been proposals about this in the back. And in the past, and, and the and the Keisha bill is the one that deals with uh, classifying um, uh, private schools, and uh, I think there are some public schools that feel like the private schools have an, uh, uh, an unfair advantage in some mm-hmm. athletic competitions. Uh, I and so that that is meant to address that. I'm sure that'll be a pretty controversial bill too. Yes, yeah, I don't envy the legislators who have to right tackle that issue. Well, uh, Monday is the Martin Luther King holiday, but then the legislature will really start to kick into gear with lots of uh, bill introductions and other action. Uh, on Tuesday, January 17th, KASB will be in the State House for our annual Advocacy and Action Day. We'll have, um, gosh, almost 70 school board members and, and education leaders visiting the state capitol to uh, meet with their local lawmakers and to advocate for public schools. And as I mentioned earlier, there are many, many new lawmakers this year. And so it's gonna be very important for those of us in public education to make sure that we're in frequent and respectful contact with those new legislators to make sure that we're developing good relationships and to establish ourselves as trusted sources of information uh, on public education. John and Scott, is there anything else we need to discuss with our listeners? Just keep watching us on Facebook Live. Yeah, we'll be we'll be live from the State House every evening at face uh, on Facebook Live, uh, bringing you up to date on the day's events, and then we will be recording new podcast episodes every week uh, with Alex's assistance and releasing those on Friday afternoons, and so. Please stay tuned to Facebook and to the Advocate Podcast and also follow us on Twitter for live tweets of uh, legislative action throughout the day. Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk at you again next week.